So what would be encouraging for you today? What do you need to hear? Because God's not interested in neither are you and neither am I in sermons. Sermons tend to be and can be uh, talks about theory, about what the Bible says, but we still go away with nothing changed inside. And God's heart is always to bring about encouragement and change and invite us into transformation. And he's much closer than we think. And his voice is, is not that difficult to hear. The trouble is we think his voice sounds different and it usually is a whisper that's in our own spirits that sounds like us. And so um, he's very talkative and he has plans for every person here. And the, the great purpose of, of the Bible and Christianity and God speaking is to is to try and bring people back to the core of who they're meant to be, they were created to be. And so when we sing a song like we've just sung, which is All I Have Is Yours, really what we're saying is, God, I give you back what is yours that I have actually taken hold of and owned. I give it back to you and I just say, please restore it because I've messed it up. And it's not because I was deliberately messing it up, I just didn't know any better. Because I grew up in a culture and a family or an environment that didn't tell me about God, or I didn't know His love, or I didn't. So He doesn't condemn. He's not into condemning. We're into condemning. We're pretty good at it. He isn't because He knows the context. And He just keeps on saying, Come back to me, come back to me, come back to me. Um, and that's what Paul is talking about when we, we go to this. You know, Paul was this guy who, who was so. I always like to introduce these characters, even though we introduce them a lot. But Paul was this man who, who saw God as a religious figure, and he was, Paul was sold out to religion and to the system until Jesus met him on the Damascus Road and just said, Paul, why are you persecuting me when he was persecuting the Christians? Um, we won't go down that road. Other than that, rocked Paul's boat, and he was never the same again. And he would... He wrestled with this whole reality of God and how is God real. And uh, God, you know, God took Paul away for 14 years after he had been touched by Jesus to work through stuff. Let me encourage you that working with God and allowing God to work in us and through us takes time. There's a lot of us that needs to die. You might have noticed that. There's a lot of us that gets in the way. And God isn't upset by that. He just says, restoration takes time. And so it was out of a long period of Paul having to live out his relationship with Jesus that he began to be able to write and interpret the meaning of Jesus for the rest of uh, the world, really. Because the... The thing that we're talking about of these weeks is that God came into the, God created. God spoke and He created and life came into being. And when life came into being and creation was gifted, there was one, uh, one rule because freedom is very important to God. And He said, don't eat of that fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And in that whole scenario, evil entered into the world. I'm not going to try and... My problem is I want to qualify everything and then backfill it. And by the time... You know, we never get anywhere because I'm always trying to explain it. So I'm not going to try doing that as much. 
Um, evil was in the world. Evil basically corrupted what God created with Adam and Eve. And through ultimately the sin of one man and woman, all of us were infected. Now you see that in diseases. So it's not fair, but it happens, right? And it spreads quickly. And so like a germ, evil disinfected and polluted the whole of creation. And, and imagine again if that was your kids and your God and you look at that and go, but I desired so many, I knew the plans I had for them. Now I haven't lost control, but free will is being exercised here both by Satan and by Adam and Eve. There's free, God honors free will even in the demonic, within parameters. In other words, there's a point where he says enough's enough. But if he, if he wipes Satan out, he has to wipe us out. So there's, there are all kinds of complications and the easy answers. So Jesus comes into that mess as the first human being filled with God's spirit as God created them to be, and said, here is my son whom I love, in whom I'm well pleased. This is who I call you to be, and this is who I send in my name to draw you to myself. And you go, but it's not fair that Adam sinned and I get punished. And God the Father says, I know that. That's why my son is coming into the world. My son is coming into the world to take upon himself the sin and the consequences of Adam's actions because it's not fair that you should take it. And so Jesus went to the cross to pay the penalty for the sin that began with Adam. And Paul talks about him as being the second Adam. He paid the price. And we look around us, if somebody steals from your house, what do you want to do? You want to call the police? So they've got to pay for that. In small ways, we, we reflect God's heart where justice needs to be done. And then you have some horrendous crime and you find that the person who committed the horrendous crime is your son. And then grace comes out of the, the, the wood where you go, oh, but wait a minute, I love him too. You know the story. There's this tension and confusion and love and justice and God worked that out through Jesus on the cross. But Jesus on the cross took away uh, the penalty of sin over all humanity. And then he, stu- he, he, re- he was resurrected You see, Jesus, believing Jesus existed and believing Jesus was a good man is fine. But Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life to God. So you can't believe his teaching if you don't actually accept his identity as the revelation of God, as the Son of God. Jesus and his teaching and his identity are all linked up with his actions. He is the most unique human being ever to have walked the face of this earth. And the bizarre thing is that he comes into this world as the revelation of God's love to to actually pay the penalty for our rebellion. And the way he gets killed is by us. Because he's saying to us, you need to change. And ultimately what the cross was about was who is God and who's in charge. And that remains the question for all of life. Who's in charge? And what kind of person is in charge? Or is there anyone in charge? And Paul was grappling with all these when he comes to this place, because we're going to shrink it down now to a discussion he has between the body and the spirit. 
And if you look in Romans 5 and 6 and 7 and 8, he starts tackling this very difficult, complicated topic. In 5.15, he says this. Or maybe for Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who is a pattern of the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass, for if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to many? I've just said that. Basically, Adam sinned and Jesus came to forgive sin. Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man death reigned through all through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Now, if you're like me, I would listen to those kind of words and go, yeah, got the theory. But what's he saying there? He's saying, how many of you experience sin? How many of you know that you're sinful? How many of you know that you act out? You do things you shouldn't do. Put your hands up, those of you who know. Those of you who don't know, you can come into the front and tell us what it's like. Some of you are still too proud to even put your hand up to confess you're a sinner. That's amazing. <laughs> there is freedom in knowing your dysfunction. It's more than a dysfunction, though. We just have it in us, right? So how many of you know the power of Jesus to overcome that? You see, there's a reality. I'm not asking you to put up your hands because I kind of want to qualify it because I think we know it and we're getting to know it. But we don't fully know it. And that's really what we're talking about this morning. Is that we know the reality of sin. We know the reality of sin in our bodies, which is what? It's, it's feeding our desires. It's feeding our insecurities. It's feeding our addictions. It's feeding our loneliness. It's feeding pretty much everything. When, we, when, we, when the body is our focus, then our, the body d desires things. In fact, the body desires everything that God wants to give us, but will fill it in a different way. So the body wants love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, fulfillment. And the body offers us that through work, slavery, sex, addictions, whatever you like. Physical responses to physical needs is how the body acts and behaves. It's the only way it can. Life without God is like that. Lee touched on it. And so Paul is saying, just as the reality of Adam's sin is ours, I can't do what I want to do. In fact, he says that I, I do not have power over some of these things. I, I struggle to do the right thing. He says, who will rescue me from this body? And then he says, praise be to God in Christ Jesus. Because what he's saying is the only way to overcome uh, the brokenness and the corruption of the body is by the Spirit of God. And you don't overcome it by just trying to defeat the body by self, uh, you know, making resolutions all the time. You know how useful those are. They can be helpful, but they often don't last. He says you have to bring life to the Spirit. And as the Spirit grows, the body actually starts coming under subjection to the Spirit. And the Spirit will actually keep the body in control. Guess what happens when God's love enters you and God's love begins to actually affirm in you who you are and how much you are loved and that he has plans and purposes for you. Some of the aches in you, loneliness is in you, longings in you begin to subside.
And as you actually allow God to come real to you in Jesus, so you'll find some of the things that you thought you could never get rid of begin to get weaker. Many of us can testify to that. If you want to overcome sin or struggles in your life, you have to stop doing them, but it's much easier if you actually take hold of something better. If you actually focus on the positive stuff, you'll find the negative will be easier to manage. Over time, it'll raise its head, obviously, but over time it will. And that's the whole teaching of Paul in these passages, where he's, he's you see, what, why we're talking about this is how real is this stuff? Because if it's not real, it's a waste of time. And if you want to know the reality of, of what the Bible speaks, you have, to know, you have to confess the reality of your own life. So you've got to get real with yourself and you will find God will be real with you. Lee was real when he came in here and said, I don't know about God. I was equally real with saying, well, I do. And he loves you anyway. And it wasn't a judgment, it was like almost a game. But every time he came in, I'd lay hands on him and say, God loves you and I pray God's spirit poured out over you. Because I know that God loves him more than he knows he's loved. There's no condemnation in that whatsoever. That's actually good news. So he is like that little plant. Every time he comes in, you water him. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't matter. Does it? It doesn't matter. You feel something. You sense something. Well, you don't. So you, you've got to listen to yourself. What rises up in you? What rises up in you might be fear. It might be negative. Well, then let God start working on that. That plant couldn't water itself. You cannot find life and stay hidden. If you want to work it all out in the privacy of your own life, we will take your funeral. You can't do it. We need each other. But you need to understand the reality is found in the integrity of your own spirit, your own heart. The body is easy. It's the spirit that's the challenge at first. And the good news is that God has come. What did he say to the, after the resurrection? Jesus was crucified and he rose and that blew them away. And he appears to them and then he says to them what? He says, now you know about me. You've walked with me for three years. You are the most privileged 12 guys and women beyond you that have ever walked the face of this earth. Now wait in Jerusalem until you receive power. Because he still said, you might, have relate, you might know all about me, you might know about my death, you might know about my resurrection, you might know about how broken you were in the midst of that, and you might be rejoicing now because I've risen again, but you're not going to be able to live without my spirit in you. I have come that you would have power to be different from the people you've been before, because I now live in you. That's why I said I am second group. Every week, there is no way you'll get free from addiction without Jesus alive in you. But like everybody else, I'm not sure I want to give that up. Fair enough. That's why you start saying, why don't you get to know who Jesus is? Because that will enable you to begin to say yes. Make sense? Sort of? And so Paul goes through this long list of things, really trying to say why... Uh, so he says, for if we have been united with him in his death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in resurrection like his. It's talking about Jesus. I come to Jesus. Thank you that you died on the cross for my sin. 
God was not doing all of that in Jesus on the cross so that we would one day in heaven be able to celebrate it. What's the point of that? He was accomplishing something on the cross that would actually translate into making life different on earth as in heaven. And if you're like me, I grew up in the church for 30 to 40 years when nobody ever said that. I would give you um, a teaching from Romans chapter 7 or verse 5, the old self, and I would talk about the biblical meaning of the words, and I might waffle a little bit about that, but I would never go to the point of saying that actually is true for today. You can experience it today. Because what did he say? For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Anyone who has died with Jesus has been set free from sin. So if you have said, Jesus, I thank you that you went to the cross for me. I thank you that you paid the penalty for my sin. You are set free from sin. You say, but I don't feel that. Who cares? You have been set free from sin. When I first left the army after nine months in the army in South Africa, and even when I first left South Africa, after a lot of the militant oppression of South Africa, it took quite a long time to feel free. It didn't, just, it didn't just feel free. You sort of look around and you think, I wonder when something's going to happen. I'd get the mail for years. In my teenage years, the mail always meant, oh, when's the army call-up coming and when's this coming about the army? And it was, it was awful. And so for quite a while, it was the mail was not a good place because you, you know, something negative was happening. It takes time to enter into freedom. But if Jesus is alive in you and all you have to have him... Quite frankly, it's really easy. Jesus, thank you. I ask you to come in. You know, conception isn't difficult. And having Jesus in my life is not difficult because he has already opened up the way. He doesn't wait for you to get worthy. He waits for you to say, oh my God, thank you, there's hope. (laughs) And you've met me. And I don't deserve it, but thank you. And I... You know, we'll spend the rest of our lives appreciating what that meant and what that means. But today is always the opportunity for us to start again with Him or to allow Him to work in us more deeply. You have to feed the Spirit. You have to feed the Spirit. And the only way you feed the Spirit is Jesus. You know, Jesus never talked about God. He always talked about my Father. Because He came to reveal God as Father. I'd encourage you, never talk about God. Always talk about Father. Let Him heal the negative Father relationships you might have. He is a wonderful Father. I speak as somebody who has had to be healed myself. He is a kind Father. He says, all I have is yours. I have plans for you. I have plans for you that would... You would, you, you'd freak out because you'd think, no, 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 I can't do that. And he says, you can't do it yet, but if you follow me, you watch and see. I gave Tina a word on, on, on Tuesday. It was a cool word, wasn't it, Tina? Come up here, Tina. Let's give it again. I like giving good words. Tina in high heels is not so Tina, but I suppose... <laughs> but, but, you know, I was just asking God for sort of words over some people. Well, I wasn't actually asking for words. It was just about how to bring these encouraging things out of people and... 
Tina's name came up. He just, he just sort of, it was like he said to me, just look at her spelling. Because Tina, in my head, was small and hidden and maybe inferior. I'm not talking about necessarily now, the way you're looking at me there. But, but, <laughs> but in, in the past, I mean, because Tina's, I mean, your testimony is, a, you'll give it one day in front of us, is a, is a, is a, a dynamic testimony of brokenness and long, long story, right? And God has touched your life, what, in the last three years? Three and a half years. Three and a half years. Um, and there's the smallness and hiddenness. And God just said, change the word, change the letters around and put my name at the beginning. And you change Tina's letters around and you put G for God at the beginning and you get giant. And God's word to Tina was... Um, I am making you, uh, I'm, going to, I'm pulling you out to be a giant. You're going to be a giant among women. You're going to have a testimony that is going to be a giant. And you're going to have the impact of a giant. And I call that forth in the name of Jesus. Amen? Amen. That, is, that is a God who says, if you let me touch your spirit, I will pull out of you what you never knew was possible. Because you have become a slave to your body. And you've become a slave to Satan, who all he can do is work with the body. And he will, he will destroy your body. You will be destroyed by your body. But when you allow God to touch your spirit, it will come up into its rightful place because we were designed for the spirit to lead the body. And Paul is saying that as we allow God to work in our lives, we will have that reality so that we will know the reality of God's love as much as we know the reality of every sin we've ever had. And I'd rather know the reality of God's love. I'd rather know the reality of God's peace, of His kindness, of His goodness. I don't think I'm going to go on very much further because I think you're getting the point. But what I'm wanting to, to really just... Um, say is that when Jesus went to the cross and when Jesus rose again and he poured out his spirit, it was to make a change now. There's some things, I bet you every single one of us would stand up and say, I'm struggling with something or I've got this issue or there's something not right. And the only way to find freedom is to begin to say, Lord, thank you that you have that thing. And I, and I give you permission to release my spirit that I would grow strong in my spirit to believe what I don't yet see. If you look under your addictions, you look at loneliness, or you look at lack of self-control, or you look at shame, or you look at no hope, you can take anything. Now your body is speaking that to you because your body experiences that's what's happened. I come to Jesus and he looks at you and he says, um, I see hope. And so you take your hopelessness and you lay it at the cross and you receive hope. And it doesn't feel like it's different. And you go, but thank you because of Jesus, I have hope. Because I'm dead to sin. And I'm alive to Jesus. How are you dead to sin? I'm starting to say sin is not going to have the last word. Jesus, thank you that you've done something. I don't understand it yet, but I know I need it. So, Jesus, I receive the hope that you have for me, even though I don't feel it right now. And you begin to start thanking God for hope. You start thanking him for a future. Let me introduce you to somebody that I... That, that I, that I um, this is an old example, but um, 
You'll love him. It's a caterpillar. It's what? It's cute. That's the trouble, you see. We love the body. The caterpillar. Now, we tell the caterpillar, that's you. You see, that, the caterpillar is us before Jesus. And if you had to say to the caterpillar, there's a future for you. I mean, if you were a self-respecting caterpillar, would you think there's a future for you apart from a branch, a couple of leaves? And then you have this, which, I mean, I could have spent $100 on a beautiful, colorful one, but if, imagine this to be a beautiful, colorful butterfly. These two are totally connected. They look very, very different. And when Jesus came into the world, he came as the butterfly. In fact, he was probably transformed at the, at, at, at the baptism of John, where, where God said, this is my son. But he, he was the butterfly. He demonstrated life that nobody else had seen because God created human beings to ultimately fly. But before Jesus, there was no visible sign of that. They were just caterpillars. And you got to this when you were in heaven. And when Jesus came into the world, he said, I've come to release the butterflies. And you go, that's, that's, it's impossible. And when he was resurrected... He poured out his spirit and he said, when you receive my spirit, you will begin to see the transformation take place. Now, there's only one problem. This can't fly with this. This has to give up its identity in order for this to be released. That's what Paul's talking about. This is the spirit. This is the body. In order for the spirit to fly, the body has to come into submission. Has to say, Jesus... I need your help. The body has to die. It's not a bad death, it's a good death, but it feels like a bad death at the time. So if you want to know how God's working in you, just start paying attention to what's happening inside you. Your feelings, your emotions, those things are, are what God is talking to you about. If you actually align yourself with Jesus, He can actually accelerate the freedom. If you continually resist you will spend a lot of time struggling and get quite cynical. You certainly won't show up here because you'll get angry. But ultimately, it's about paying attention because this thing, as it dies, creates, is, 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 is what God uses to create this. And so what's the point? The point is that your life, wherever it is, God will use. He will use the raw material of your life to create that. And what he's wanting to say to each of us is there's a bigger, more beautiful butterfly. In fact, there are lots of them uh, that I want to call out of you. But I can only call it out of you if you allow me to release it through Jesus. So Jesus is like a chrysalis. You say, Jesus, will you help me? And you allow him to birth things in you. You already have them in you, by the way. You have all the seeds for your future are in you. They're dormant or they're active, depending. And so God's desire is, you see, you don't have to become things. You just have to allow him to release them. Does that make sense to you? So, Lee loves orchards. Or orchids. Orchards down south. Orchids. No, not even down south, I think. 
Um, he, lo- he loves orchids. If I was in the room and I saw that, I would probably have ignored it. Now imagine you are like that orchid and God is like the gardener, like Lee, who loves orchids. Then he pays attention. What I have to do as the thirsty orchid is in a sense say, I place myself in the hands of the gardener. And so I just encourage you to allow God to work in you. What happens too often is that this one tries to call the shots. You might notice that in yourself. You have agendas. Or you don't like what's happening. Or you don't like who it's happening through. I mean, it has a lot of opinions. It has a lot of, this is when and how I want it to happen. The more you do that, the more you will inhibit the process. But the more you will blame others. You will become angry. I promise you, if you are offended or angry, as we heard on Tuesday night from Graham Cook, it is a sign that you're not trusting God. It's nobody else's issue. And you have to become ruthless with yourself and start saying, this is my truth. This is what I'm feeling right now. And so you have to say, body, you're angry. Why? Jesus, I need your help. And you need to start learning how to let him speak to you through what's going on inside you. And you will see remarkable things happen because he loves to do resurrection. He loves to bring out butterflies. Let's stand.